Hello and welcome to Teaching Here and There, episode five, the podcast that talks about hybrid teaching in higher education. I'm Don Pates. I'm a senior educational technologist from City University of London. I'm Ivan Sikora. I'm the associate professor in aviation, University of West London. And I'm James Rutherford. I'm also at City University, working with Dom as a senior educational technologist. So we've been uh, we've taken a month off on the podcast, but we're back again now with uh, episode five. And on today's podcast, we have two guests with a focus on uh, looking at hybrid teaching in the arts. Uh, we will be speaking to uh, Dr. Dominic Havstein Franklin, who is a consultant in arts psychotherapies and a professor of practice at Brunel University, also in London. And we'll be speaking to Amy Sampson, who is the head of digital learning at Falmouth University in Cornwall. So uh, we've got a very interesting conversation with the two of them lined up. So let's go straight in. So we are here today with uh, Dr. Dominic Havstein Franklin and uh, Amy Sampson. And uh, this conversation today is uh, taking a look at hybrid teaching and the arts. Now, obviously, that is a broadly interpretable subject. We can go into that uh, a little bit later in the conversation. Can I ask you both to uh, introduce yourselves uh, to our listeners before we get started? Um, Amy, let's go to you first. Um, so, hello. Thanks for having me on. Um, my name is Amy Sampson. Um, I'm a head of digital learning at Falmouth University. Um, my role kind of spans everything from kind of course design development right the way through to technical implementation of our tools and uh, assessment methods as well. Um, and feeding into kind of a lot of our strategies around estates, learning and teaching. Um, so yeah, it's an area that I'm really interested in hybrid delivery. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, uh, Dominic. Thanks very much. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so I am a consultant in arts therapies for the NHS. Uh, I'm also a, a professor of practice for Brunel University in London, uh, really looking at uh, the subject of arts psychotherapies. Um, so how we uh, apply uh, arts within a health context uh, for, for health benefit, as well as thinking about how we teach uh, arts therapies uh, in an academic context. Yeah, so... Amy and Dominic, uh, it's very nice to have you around, and, and uh, you, James, and Dominic as well. Um, it's interesting to have such a, a variety of our guests, and, and as the topic of this podcast is about the uh, hybrid teaching, I just would love to hear from Amy and Dominic as our guests, what is your experiences with synchronous hybrid teaching so far? We all think that we know about it, but let's hear from you. Where do you stand in this topic itself? I mean, I'll be honest, I'm fairly critical of it um, being applied in the arts. I'm just going to come out and say that now. Um, I think where it's worked really well for our students has been for kind of those discursive sessions. So looking at a seminar based, tutorial based, that's worked really well because you can structure a space both online and in person well to deal with that kind of situation. Um, it's quite natural, you know, having students, staff around a table mm -hmm. and you can set up the space with like a monitor, call somebody in um, because you can almost plan for that kind of situation. Mm -hmm. you, you know, the expectations, I think where it becomes difficult, particularly from an arts perspective, is the diversity of the subjects and mm -hmm. the, um, the facilities that you have to facilitate those subjects. So, you know, on one hand, you'll have dance spaces with sprung floors and performers mm -hmm. and that's a lot harder to translate into a hybrid delivery mode um, a lot of the rooms that we have on our campus one of our campuses we share with another institution cameras and things are fixed you know microphones are fixed yeah. and a lot of our subject areas don't translate to that well you know you, you go to our fine arts studios it's it's very much around a, a space a sense of place yeah. and trying to adapt your technology um to fit that is quite hard uh, yeah. and also you know student expectations in those situations as a, as a big draw in a community of practice and a and a space that you're coming to um so it's hard to do it naturally without it being enforced and my perspective is you're kind of doing one to the detriment of the other 
you're having to trade off and the pandemic has has forced our hand on this you know hybrid delivery wasn't something that we originally Mm -hmm. said oh yeah let's do this that would be a really good thing to do it's it's because it's come out of a, a situation where we're having to adapt and having to do it and that has meant that it's it hasn't always been the best um situation but i think kind of coming back to my original point on certain elements of delivery translate really well and work really well so those you know those discursive sessions work really well but i think yeah when you're actually i mean lecture for us is fairly broad term like what is a lecture but parts of that are quite hard to translate into a hybrid mode yeah probably it's it's something that it deals together with with the with the concept itself with the hardware available and the tools but i think we are going to come to that later on how about you, Dominic? In, in your in your practice, not only in in a class, but maybe in the in the clinical setting as well. Um, well, I'm coming from a slightly different perspective because I think um, there are some compromises that have to be made, but there's also been a lot of learning uh, that's been achieved about new ways of communicating um, mm. through technology. So um, I had sort of two parallel worlds kind of happening um, at the same time during the pandemic, which was the there's a health crisis in effect where lots of resources are being uh, um, redirected, um, some of which were away from mental health services and being reused in different ways. So the staff were going through a lot of changes. Um, patients were getting less, having less contact and uh, you know, really could only come into clinics if it was very serious. Um, mm-hmm. And meanwhile, um, tutors and teachers were, um, were struggling to think about how they were going to change their programs to, to accommodate their students. And so the whole situation was in a sort of dual crisis. Well, I mean, in my subject area, what, what we really found, because usually the NHS is, is very evidence-based, uh, sort of driven. Mm-hmm. So practice needs to be evidence before we can, we can put it into practice. Um, in this situation, we had to do some things which kind of, you know, we had to see patients that were at risk. And we had to find ways of effectively doing that without putting them at more risk from COVID and a lot of uncertainties with, with limited resources. Um, so it meant that uh, we, you know, obviously we had to use any platforms we could, whether it was Zoom, WhatsApp, Teams, any ways we could, and begin to adjust to that new language. Because in in my view, it is a kind of new language, it's a new format, and a new way of connecting and relating uh, through the arts. Um, and so, in a way, some of that. Um, I mean, for example, right down to um, you know people making images at home. Uh, you know, using uh, the, the chat area to kind of almost text as you get some young people using a language they might use in their usual social discourse uh, mm-hmm. to communicate their experience of the arts, which you wouldn't normally get. So we're now part of this new social kind of world of the student or even the patient. Um, mm. So it brings in this, these new elements of language that create a different social kind of picture or dimension. Uh, <laughs> so there's a kind of cross-learning into the kind of educational environment, but how do we how do we begin to engage with the kind of languages that are in that space that we wouldn't normally access? Mm. Um, uh, you know, it also creates some opportunities for for continuity that we hadn't seen before. Um, so we often, you know, people used you know, kind of emailing and um, and uh, used different ways of uh, digital media in between um, their kind of sessions or teaching and so forth. Um, so it kind of inspired new ways of keeping that continuity uh, of learning. What, what, what we noticed, you know, was, was lost, um, was a feeling of being able to address issues and problems readily and rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where there were miscommunications or misunderstandings, um, we had to really work hard and usually often with face-to-face appointments to try and sort of, you know, bridge that gap, you know, to make sense of learning issues or, um, or health issues for that matter. Mm. So it's been when everyone's in the when everyone's in the classroom. It's much easier to have those at elbow moments, really, isn't it? Absolutely, and you see some people sort of dropping out, you mm-hmm. know, dropping out of the picture and going silent. And it's hard to bring them back in if you don't know what they're why they're being silent. Mm. Um, so that's you know, um, and that's why I think face to face is. You, I don't think online teaching for young population or mental health population works on its own. I think there has to be some level of face to face contact. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, is there anything that uh, in clinical uh, aspect would be in terms of the of the privacy or of, of GDPR or anything that you would see as a, as a detriment for the for the met- method as well? 
I mean, there were, in terms of the therapist, there was a lot of anxiety around this to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, I've had, you know, had patients with cats and family and, you know, all sorts of things coming into mm. that space. Mm. Um, and of course, a lot of this stuff is quite confidential for them. Mm. And so they have to set up some parameters right from the beginning about what's, um, what we do in those situations. What do they want me to do? Um, how do I address them? Do we stop altogether? Do we to continue? Do you want me to take notice? Or, you know, so we've set up some parameters that are agreed right from the beginning. Mm. Um, there's also in the therapy world, there's a big thing about disclosure as well and how much you disclose mm. yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you're sitting in a in a Danish wash house, you're going to be disclosing something, something. Yeah, yeah. Your indeed, experience. Indeed. It's almost like being again analogy with the aviation, being in a cockpit and having a pre-briefing before the takeoff. What we do if something goes wrong. Yeah, and we've okay. introduced the aviation metaphors earlier. Right? You said <laughs> to run through. No, the, I love uh, this, but it, it applies to everything. <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> we'll come back to more more aviation uh, metaphors later on. I think. Um, I'm just going to um, build on the, your two responses. There, you may, you may have covered some of these uh, already. Um, Amy, you mentioned that the pandemic forced our hand, as as it did in. Uh, lots of situations. And Dominic, you talked about um, new ways of uh, communicating. Now, obviously, when we talk about the arts, it's a very, very broad subject, you know, whether we're talking about uh, from ceramics to healthcare to dance, and there's many, many challenges there. But I I think what you're both alluding to in many ways is that um, crisis can be a mother of invention. So I'm just going to sort of hone in on a particular question. I'll go to Dominic and then to Amy uh, this time. Um, Do do you think that the arts can be taught um, at at a higher education level in a hybrid way? Dominic? I I do think it depends on what arts, um, because I think there are new, as I said, I think there are new ways of thinking about sort of performance um, how we think about visual arts, how we think about this sort of um, virtual space. Um, so, for example, you know, I've taken a strong interest in um, sort of virtual reality environments, um, thinking about yeah, neuroscience and how we begin to, um, uh, what goes on uh, in our interactions in terms of how we can begin to visualise that. I don't think all arts can be um, effectively uh, taught uh, online. I think there is something about the experiential element, which means look, being able to see something from different um, dimensions, to have a shared narrative in that space, and a lot of that stuff is non-verbal, and, and you do have to have that the kind of contextual, not just the tech, you know, not just the technical aspects, but um, the, the kind of relational um, world around that. So how do you how do you relate together? How do you have that more nuanced sensitivity to the content of the uh, image, sculpture, dance, performance, whatever it is. Um, there's something about being in the context, in the real context of others that, that changes the way we perceive the object. Um, I, I, I think change is online. Um, however, there are, are, there are a whole spectrum of different sorts of arts forms that come to life online. Um, so I'm quite interested in, in that space of innovation, but there's nothing like going to a gallery and see, seeing the art and walking around and taking it in and seeing the way the light falls on it uh, and the kind of associations that kind of build up inside. That's what we want our students to kind of really engage with, not just the technical competency, which, which can be taught online. Um, it's about how we begin to engage with, appreciate, understand, investigate, um, experience the art form. Only some arts forms can be kind of engaged with and appreciated in that kind of way, in my view, and particularly on digital arts forms. Amy, you you opened this as uh, describing yourself as a cynic in this area. You you fundamentally believe that the arts can't be taught at HE in a hybrid way or? Well, I I guess, um, I guess, I guess it depends what your definition of hybrid is, isn't it, as well? Like, I think that, I think everything can be taught hybrid. It's just a matter of how you design that curriculum to make the best use of the modes you have available. So if you know that from the off, you can design a programme or a course in a way that uses certain tools to their advantage. So, you know, using the example of like the discursive elements working really well or, you know, certain types of acquisition based materials could be delivered in a hybrid way, but it's, 
designing that in from the off rather than a kind of reactively adapting your curriculum um, because then it means those parts that are essential in person are prefaced as being this is an essential in person element because you can't do that part any other way so you can definitely design anything for hybrid but I think what we've seen today is is a lot of reactive curriculum changes in relation to the pandemic um and everyone's done you know brilliantly and you kind of mentioned it earlier our, our students rose to a challenge you know they accepted it we had to do a lot with you know adapting what was being assessed um and it ended up you know being the process that you were assessing rather than like a final artifact so I think as long as you know that from from the beginning and you know that right this is a hybrid course you you can design it in that way um yeah but I mean fundamentally a lot of our students come to the university because of the facilities because of the the equipment that you're going to use and that obviously doesn't translate into an online space if you're looking at you know print making and book binding um because you, you don't always have that equipment at home and then you've got certain students who are disadvantaged because they don't have a studio space to go and work so it's it's just being transparent we we have like fully online you know masters in photography and they do really really well because those students know when signing up to those courses the expectations on the kinds of equipment they need to have in order to undertake that course and we didn't have that with our existing students going through currently who suddenly had to adapt. Um, so I think it can be done, but I think there's a lot there that needs to happen in terms of design and critically looking at what your curriculum involves and how best to deliver certain parts to make the most of the in-person and the online. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think, Amy, that leads very nicely to um, the next question, which is sort of teasing this idea out a bit more in terms of, possibilities and challenges of hybrid teaching approaches in the arts which you both have articulated um, very well and I think it's it's good to, to stop and say well what do we mean by hybrid it seems over the the past sort of 18 months that hybrid has changed <laughs> in terms of initially it was as you said that direct response to the pandemic and lockdown and everything was delivered online and then there was well actually there are some courses that need to be face-to-face -face, you know healthcare and um certain accredited courses had to be when things were a little bit more relaxed and then we sort of chopping and changing with government directives and some things have worked very well some things haven't so I, I think what's be very interesting for us would be to hear about where you think the possibilities are and if that relates to um, uh, technology or um, a certain methodology in enabling hybrid to be more effective where it's more appropriate um, as opposed to just you've got to do it all online which isn't really what we're talking about uh, hopefully that makes sense as, as a question but it's just trying to tease out from from both of you perhaps we can go to Dominic first what do you think are the the opportunities here and the possibilities where it could be more appropriate and, and where it tick some more boxes that it didn't before. Well, I mean, it's interesting because during the pandemic, from the health side, um, the number of companies interested in developing digital tools for engaging patients or you know, teaching and so forth uh, doubled. So it went from around about 50 companies to 83, well, yeah, 83, so not quite double, but 83 different companies engaging with the NHS to think about how they can begin to teach um, health staff, uh, healthcare staff more effectively, um, how uh, patients can be engaged, engaged with more effectively. Um, and this includes everything from apps to, to virtual reality. Um, now that's, that's, that's quite significant in itself. And it's a huge investment and now the government is also um, investing in that area. I think there's a, there's a trial at the moment, uh, which is about a four million pound trial looking at virtual reality and psychosis. So it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's something the government is now sort of picking up on and the National Institute of Health Research. Um, you know, I, you know as, as a bit of a lead, I think that we can, you know, I think there's a lot of innovation, obviously, in that area. It's very early days. But think about it, having this environment, the 3D environment we can all walk into, we'll have a headset on, but it looks pretty realistic. Um, we can begin to think about how we create spaces within that environment, which might be kind of teaching spaces, or it might be creating a sculpture together. 
uh, you know, you can do all sorts of things, which isn't isn't quite. I think the the difficulty is is understanding this is a different language and it's a different um, environment that loosely relates to the outside world. That, um, that's that's not wildly different to um, flight simulating for. Uh, no, it's not. That's right. That's right. Aviation exactly. industry that's been around a long time, hasn't it? It's been around a long time. Or, or exactly. maintenance yeah. side of the aviation, where actually they they try to to help the, the uh, technician to. To, to to sneak into the uh, into the parts of the aircraft that very not not very easy to access and actually train in that way yeah yeah and yeah. I remember before the pandemic uh, I went to a conference um, a, an EU funded conference led by St George's University and they were talking about simulated practice and virtual patients for for medical students to train on before they went out to hospital and practiced on real people. Do you think there are more opportunities now since the pandemic in terms of what we've we've learned? Uh, and thinking about your area of expertise, Amy, in terms of the arts and what you think has gone quite well, maybe it's technology, maybe it's a certain type of practice. I think the um, there's a lot of kind of collaborative tools that have come on quite a lot, mm -hmm. uh, a lot in the last couple of years. I mean, We've been using Mural quite a lot um, at the university just as a as a kind of, you know, tool that multiple students can use at one time to help, you know, different activities. It's been used in quite a lot of different situations and quite effectively, whereas before where we were relying on, you know, collaborative documents, they were relatively clunky, um, not that intuitive always. And I think with more reliance on digital tools providers have had to up their game a bit on there more tools will be coming out in response to the situation we find ourselves in now and um yeah i, I think mural in particular i mean that that has been really good um for us and yeah it's, it's just it's kind of getting your head around new ways of working and again what what's of benefit to those students, you know, in their practice, what would help them and what's valuable to be delivered online. Um, bringing communities of practice together has been really good um, as part of this. And I think, you know, we're trying to encourage more cross-course collaboration as well. And that might not have happened so much on campus because you're in your dedicated spaces mm. or your buildings. Do you, think, um, do you think that's um, a, a potential then in terms of more obvious forms of communicating and cross-collaboration and, and how it's actually become more of a, an accepted format of communication? And I think you were saying that earlier on. I, th I think so, because I think there's going to, you know, if the last couple of years has taught us anything, it's opening up and widening access to education. And there's going to be a need for more transdisciplinarity and picking choosing of modules and you know this um idea of a you know a degree in a certain subject will be more flexible because you know oh I might want to do that module online and I might want to do that one on campus and it becomes like your own personal um degree and yeah that will you know you'll have to work with different peers from different courses and different subject specialisms and I think that's a you know it's a really positive thing to have come out of this that's quite a significant potential isn't it not just for the subjects that you're involved in dom i was going to say uh, I, I think probably one of the most um meaningful experiences of my my master's degree when, when i did one was jumping into another school and tasting another discipline as well so i can certainly relate to that um amy i'm glad that you mentioned uh, mural i'd note uh, i'd i'd heard you talk uh, previously about uh, the use of this particular tool and i'm going to sort of take you both down the uh, the tools question for a little bit uh, a little bit further as well um so it may be a case of putting on your uh, um, you're looking into your crystal balls or your wish lists or um things that you've you've used already or would like to go further with. Um, and, and obviously we're talking about a broad range of possibilities. So, you know, uh, video-based arts, therapy work, uh, ceramics are all gonna require very different tools, but um, do you have any particular tools that you would consider or recommend or, or think about using for facilitating um, 
online and in person at the same time in your contexts? I'll go to you first, Amy. Come back to the mural point, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When you're talking about, you know, delivering at the same time, it's those collaborative tools. So, you know, if there's polling tools or um, mural for us has been really good because you can, the diversity of the activities that you can set up within it is, is quite good. And it's that real time collaboration. So you can be sharing it online and in your person, in, in your, for your in-person session as well. Um, I mean, I'm gonna say the obvious, like Teams, Zoom, a good kind of video um, kind of uh, platform uh, to use. We, we have as well um, been using kind of Camtasia a lot uh, with our staff just for basic editing it kind of goes above and beyond what some of the free ones have um, and allows a kind of certain amount of templating and things in there um, again trying to not make things look too polished because it doesn't look as authentic but um, yeah I'd say some good collaboration tools is, is a must I mean we've had Padlet for a while as well and when we use that um, but yeah I'd probably say those are the tools for us. Uh, just before Dominic starts, if I may ask, is it difficult to use this mural actually? Because what I found in the classroom sometimes, even with the, with the teams, when someone introduces whiteboard on teams, there is sometimes a startling effect, basically, ah, what is the whiteboard on the teams and then how to use it? So would it be difficult to introduce this new, new technology into the classroom itself? No, so well, I would say no, but then with my learning technologist hat, I would say that. But um, I think with any tool, easy, as, long right? <laughs> as long as you kind of, you know, take a bit of time to, to, as an educator, if you were using that as a tool just to get your head around it, there's a lot of templates and things in there. You know, it's it's um, it's the same as Miro, essentially. But um, I don't. I just think in terms of, you know, post-it notes or exercises, uh-huh. you can do quizzes in there it's it's very diverse and Mm. um we've been using it a lot for kind of um you know peer review formative assessment in there as well and Mm -hmm. using almost like a grid within it and getting students to peer review each other's work and Mm -hmm. you can put timer functions on that it's it's very good but i think it's that real-time collaboration which makes it work whereas some of the other tools we've used have been quite clunky and updating so keeping people engaged in in online activity uh, uh, compared to just going blank on a screen and hiding behind the the, the dark screen yeah yeah you can see okay. people's yeah. um, mouse movements on there as well yeah, yeah. So you would see you know where everyone was and you can get people to follow you as an educator around a certain mm-hmm. activity so um, it gives gives a sense of presence over and beyond um, just appearing on a video screen as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Dominic, what's in your uh, fantasy toolkit? <laughs> well, um, well, let's let's not go there. Um, <laughs> um, but in terms of the uh, in terms of uh, digital technology, I mean we. We've been using, you know, things like Padlet, uh, obviously, um, sort of online AV uh, sort of options like Zoom and Microsoft Teams and so on. Um, I, you know, I, I am I am looking to a world in the future where, you know, there is a, con- you know, we do have face-to-face contact as a kind of core premise of teaching, but there are these new digital additions. And I, I am going towards, I'm leaning towards thinking about um, 10 years' time when we have VR environments that simulate uh, you know, some different kinds of real world contexts. Um, you know, I'm particularly interested, of course, in terms of the, um, the, the kind of industry, engagement with industry, uh, the professional environment, patient environment, and doing things, being a bit more experimental in ways that we can take risks that we couldn't take within a healthcare context. Um, hmm. So um, this might be being very experimental with the arts, I can imagine all sorts of ways of digitally collaborating to form, you know, kind of huge pieces of work together across, you know, expand different cultures and dimensions. Mm. Um, you know, this can include video and home environments and, uh, you know, personal belongings and all sorts of stuff that begin to form something in that, in that space, references to, to anything. Um, mm. Now that as a kind of therapeutic tool, we can then begin to bind this together into a cohesive whole and make sense of it and, uh, you know, to think about what this means in terms of the group mm. uh, dynamic. Mm. 
in educational context the same. I mean, we are one of the projects I've been working with recently with um, uh, with social work and the business school. Uh, uh, Brunel is around how we understand the group culture of the of the learning group of the students, <laughs> and how that translates into an industry context. Mm. So we have a number of different uh, sort of online. Um, tools that we're developing or thinking about for that. Um, but it's, essentially, it is about creating, an, you know, for this particular project, it's about creating an image of the culture of, their, uh, of the group. And so, so, again, something like a VR environment might work quite well, well with that. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, we've been using from very simple platforms like um, uh, sort of Notion, which is a sort of more or less a kind of project planning um, tool with, you know, to-do lists and things. But I could I could imagine something of this like this being a much more kind of versatile, engaging space. Um, mm. So um, it's interesting. Yeah, just just picking back on what you said, Dominic. Um, you mentioned the industry. You mentioned the business side. You mentioned all these. The 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 the, the I would say moving to the next ten years. Um, would it involve? a part of education in addition to the new technology. So basically, for example, if you bring someone in a classroom who is not equipped with the VR, or maybe hasn't used before the mural or any of these software, what would be that uh, uh, the gap you have to overcome to get these students working well at ease with this new technology? So basically, and with the new approach, how would you see that? Is there any particular need for induction into this, or it is going to be maybe potentially the next next ten years just intuitive because we are going to have them in our own environment? So basically, stepping into classroom, new table is going to be the table and nothing else. Yeah. So so I so I imagine probably a bit longer than ten years. Some people are predicting about ten years, but I think it's more likely to be in common use in say twenty years. And so in the meantime, I think the, and I think even then, I suspect there'll be some sort of induction process. It's not easy to get to be able to understand at the moment. It is a bit clunky. It's not always intuitive how to engage with and how to use these different environments. Some of this can be taught, certainly can be taught online. Um, at the moment, some of the um, apparatus, I mean, say, for example, VR, if you want a good sort of kit that will really kind of work with that sort of environment, that will work with you know, different people in the same environment, you're probably looking at the minimum of two thousand pounds, you know, to do to be able to do that. So it's not a, it's not an easily accessible um, option right now. Um, there are some much simpler versions. We've been using those in performance and dance, for example, which have been uh, it's been quite fun, but very limited in application, mm. like the Oculus and so on. Yeah, so I, I do think there's something about the the familiarity. Just in what is it? How do I put it on? How do I feel with this? What does it look like? The functionality. Uh, so how do I make it work? And then kind of getting used to it and becoming competent with it. That mm. can take anything up to, you know, that can be hours to days. You know, mm. so it's not, a, it's not a quick, you know, it's not a quick process, no. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's from the practitioner. Amy, how about from people who organize all these things? What do you see as a challenge or maybe a future needs in terms of the, of the delivery for the hybrid model? You said um, you are skeptic. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Uh, yeah, I think so. But I, I think, um, you know, we all get a bit, kind of notif- notification praise we you know it's, it's just information overload all these mm. new technologies and I think there still will be a place for your traditional arts and you know the a craving of yes I want to go and work with a piece of clay because mm. I've had enough of all of this technology so there's no data in it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's finding you know that that middle ground I think mm-hmm. for me you know learning environments that are more flexible and more intuitive mm-hmm. that you know look at your attainment in a subject and present to you different uh, pieces of material dependent on your route to date you know it's very one size fits all at the minute and it's not adaptive enough and I think mm-hmm. environments and technologies that are more flexible to you as an as an individual learner would be something that I'd be really interested in um mm-hmm. And there are different challenges with that, obviously. Um, but I, I still think, though, it's getting the balance right, you know, especially for the, the kinds of subjects that we have is is the authenticity of those subject areas and balancing it against the kind of digital delivery and, and finding that sweet spot that works. 
So I'm thinking if you can invent like a box scanner that you put over your clay uh, a shape and then scan it in 3D and send across to the classroom, that might be something in between, yeah? Yeah, but it's still not your piece of clay, is it? It's, oh, okay, it's a, oh. it's a Yeah, there's something about, you know, there's a tangibility to a, mm-hmm. to a, cra- to a lot of crafts, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of our staff play are, misses the point right? yeah a lot of our staff you know they're very practitioner practitioner yeah. focused though you know and it's and the whole process probably it's very valuable not just the final product exactly exactly and i think that's you know you can't always replicate that in a in a digital way and controversial i don't think you should um so very interesting amy i I remember years ago making a video for someone um who was in um fashion design running a fashion design course on tacit learning so the video was all about tacit learning there's Mm -hmm. a slight dichotomy there but um basically they were some academics feeling different textiles so she was a textiles Uh, and just saying how much people, and then we filmed students as well, how much they learn through touch. Mm-hmm. And and as, as Dominic, you were saying earlier in terms of art and objects and how the light falls on an object and how you perceive it as you walk around and the context of where it's where it is. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting in the where hybrid teaching <laughs> will take us, in where it'll work well and where it's just not going to work. Let's well, be honest. I, yeah, I think. <laughs> Also, if you look at a lot of our hybrid delivery modes now, they focus very much on the visuals. You know, it's all mm-hmm. about video-based yeah. content and tapping into the other senses, you know, doing yeah, more audio-based content yeah, exactly. and making a more rich experience for all your senses. Like, that would be fantastic. Um, but again, we tend to focus in a specific area. It's, it's so, making a, a nurturing experience. Absolutely. And, and, and at the moment, we are... Inhibited, or we are um, excited by what technology offers, and, and if technology speeds up in a time of crisis, as, as certainly history shown with with the war, the, the world wars, the technology sped up incredibly. Um, maybe VR, you know, that I guess there's potential there, and if we're looking at hybrid teaching, is that a part of it? Uh, and as you say, it's not just video. Amy, back to you. No, and also you don't want to exclude the very students that you're trying to help. You know, a lot of these um, mechanisms rely on, you know, really high bandwidth. And mm-hmm. one thing that we have yeah. heard loud and clear from our students is they don't have access to super fast internet. And Indeed. We, with looking forward to the future and getting excited about all the possibilities, we don't want to leave behind those that are struggling at the minute. So Digital poverty. A hundred percent, yeah. And and, and and actually, when we started um, this work uh, last year, one of the things that Dom and I were, were, were talking about was the need for equity. You know, and we called it the equitable model. Mm-hmm. Um, at City, we've now come up with a new name for this project of developing hybrid learning environments, and it's called ILA, Inclusive Synchronous Learning Activities. That's the name we've given it. Um, and it's all about inclusion, and, and trying to create an equal experience as possible. And it's not mm. just technology and people who are perhaps have got poor bandwidth at home or they're in a wash house in Denmark with, you know, <laughs> probably a very good signal, but it, 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 it there's so much variety in terms mm-hmm. of people's home environment. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think so we, we, we assume a lot of times that the, 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 the common uh, benchmark is actually quite high. Likewise, we've had problems, this is going back to the kind of healthcare environment, but um, one of the major issues we had during the pandemic was engaging patients who didn't have even a smartphone, um, who are struggling and can't make it into a clinic because they're vulnerable and they have severe, you know, severe problems. And so what do you do? You know, so how do you, how do you make it, you know, treatment accessible for that person? Mm. Um, Some universities have hardship funds, which, which they deal with in terms of providing students with technology and giving someone a laptop doesn't necessarily mm. solve a problem if they've got no broadband of the contention ratio is really poor and they're sharing it with lots of other people in student halls i think we could probably move on to um our last question before we Don. do that though james mm. uh we have the uh, same question that we ask of all of our guests here this has been a fascinating conversation i think touching on uh, many different uh, important areas. The tangibility is something not just relates to the arts or healthcare, obviously, as well. So if we may ask you to imagine a spectrum 
um, where on, on one end uh, of the spectrum, uh, you might be uh, fighting, resisting the idea of hybrid teaching, running as far away as possible from it as you can. And on the other end of the spectrum, uh, we are saying that you're flying towards it. And this is a kind of uh, an interpretation of fight or flight for, the, for this context. Um, so, you, you know, you're running as far away as possible or you're running straight towards it. Uh, Amy, where would you put yourself on that spectrum? Just off the middle to running <laughs> towards it. <laughs> and it, again, it's that thoughtful application. So where, it, where it's beneficial, using it in the appropriate place, you know, um, but with the caveat that a lot of the subject areas are tangible, you know, require facilities and... And I think Surprised. that's yeah. I think when when you started the conversation with us, I thought you were going to say definitely, definitely yeah, fly away. <laughs> well, I because I was thinking on the hybrid definition of like running the sessions at the same time because we have a lot of that happening as well. You know where where you've got the hybrid delivery mode, you know, in person and online at the same time. So that's what I'm really resistant to. But um, yeah, I think as you know, with anything as long as it's thoughtfully applied and. I think our students are kind of roughly where where I am too. You know, they acknowledge mm. that this is the direction and, you know, it's not going to go away. And we've embraced a kind of digitally enhanced curriculum, you know, blended is our norm. So mm -hmm. um, that's where we are. But again, it's, you know, reflecting on what's happened, listening to our students, listening to our subjects. Um, subject Dominic, where do, you, where do you put yourself on that spectrum? Um Fight or flight. Fight or flight. So, so, so my my feeling is this is, and I'm a bit way this inclined. I think there's a lot of innovation um, in this area, and so I'm really kind of excited by that. Um, whilst also not wanting to lose the kind of tangibility that that Amy mentioned, because I think it's very easy to get into that space where a lot of stuff just somehow seems quite ethereal. It doesn't. There's no sort of you can't hold on to it. Um, and so if we can carry that with it, I'm, I'm really, I'm sort of seven, eight, I'm, you know, I'm really kind of wanting to push this, even though it's, even though I can see it's moving much more quickly than I can keep up with. <laughs> it's, um, you know, I'm, I, I am, I, I do think for the next generations, I'm really looking to, you know, my, my um, children are sort of 20, 17, 10, and the way that they're engaging in, in technology is so different to the way I did, and the way they understand it is very different. And I think keeping up with them is where my heart is. <laughs> so I sort of feel like um, for kind of hybrid teaching in the future, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I think it's, uh, it's the way forward, yeah. A parental response to uh, to end up there as well. I think we can pretty much <laughs> well, all relate to that one. Too. I think I think the, the other summary to take from that is is going back to something Amy said at the beginning was what do we mean by hybrid, and and perhaps the arts and the healthcare context hybrid means something slightly different to some of the other conversations we've had in previous episodes of teaching here and there where we've talked about live synchronous teaching, mm -hmm. where you're sort of patting your stomach and rotating your hand on your head, you know. Um, just to finish up, um, both of you, just to ask a question we ask of all our guests, um, we think it's fair. Is, is there anything we haven't asked you, you think perhaps we should have done? I mean, I mean the, th the thing I found really interesting was this thing that Amy brought up. I'm still trying to engage in this myself about this relationship between the tangibility and the, and we've talked about it, but I do think it's quite exciting, this question of, um, you know, how, how can we bring something to life on screen, you know, or in that sort of, uh, how can we really engage with that in a meaningful way? Um, and, know, and, you know, how do we begin to assess that and evaluate that? You know, I once, um, I went, a couple of years ago, I had a conversation with um, someone called Magnus Magnusson, uh, a researcher in uh, behavioral science. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, I really want to understand that the kind of different cues about, you know, particularly on cultures and how we're interacting in that space, in that kind of learning environment. And he said, well, yes, that's, that's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to support that. I think you'll need 16 cameras. And I said, wow, 16 cameras. Yeah. You need 16 cameras to pick up all the nuanced responses because we're, we're talking about different cultures. Uh, and I thought, well, actually, it is, it's what we, 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 don't, we don't know how much we miss in, these, in this kind of face-to-face -face virtual environment. And I think, you know, if we can keep that in mind going forward, just, you know, if we need 16 cameras to really appreciate the, the full complexity of non-verbal behaviours in a learning environment, 
you know, we know that we're not, we're only seeing one sixteenth right now. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's maybe, maybe we don't always appreciate that. Taken back to some uh, some research that I've done around uh, holograms and uh, the idea of haptic holography. Uh, uh, you are digitizing 3D objects that mm -hmm. aren't real, <laughs> effectively, but you can still touch them. So it's mm. uh, Amy. <laughs> it's, it's kind of subjective, also down to the what an individual takes from those experiences. You know, somebody will walk into you know, a studio and the smell will be what really motivates them or mm -hmm. the way the light comes in or, and in order to be able to capture, you know, the smells, the sounds, the feel digitally is, in, you know, probably impossible. At the minute, yeah. But, um, <laughs> and, and yeah, the question of well, why would we want to replicate it if, if the, if the, um, I guess the, the positive side of that is being in that space and experiencing that in the time and place that you are. Um, so yeah. I don't, I don't know if we can or should replicate it, but um, yeah, long, long the, live the creative subjects. Also, absolutely, <laughs> long yeah. live the creative subjects. That's, yeah, right. a, that's a great point to end this conversation on. Thank you both ever so much for your contributions to this. It's been a, a fascinating discussion to be part of. Yeah, thank you very much, Dominic. Thank you, Amy. Yeah, and I think this is a takeaway also that probably, like in any academic endeavor, and this is academic endeavor as well, to finding out what is it not for, it's success as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So that was a, a really great discussion. I like how this took us in directions that we hadn't gone so far, um, how it, it kind of touched on a lot of really important issues, I think, when we're bringing the, the digital and the physical or the in-person together in, in real time, really went under the skin uh, a little bit with some of the issues there. Um, James, let me go to you first. Any particular reflections or things that stood out in, in that uh, uh, conversation for you? I think it's very useful to discuss the definition of hybrid teaching. Um, it means different things to different people. And I think with the experience of art psychotherapy and arts practice at um, two institutions, it's very interesting how the, the common theme came across and both one's a researcher, one's an academic with technical experience of um, digital education, is this idea of tangibility uh, as a real challenge um, you know, there's ta tacit learning, tacit understanding, visual cues we've talked about before, but there's also ideas about the, the play of light on an object, on an artefact that people are creating and designing. It's not all about video and online tools. Very interesting talk, discussion about collaboration, um, widening access. In certain Dominic's point of view, he was talking about He's saying in the NHS, a big increase in the number of suppliers providing online tools for health, health education training, which is very interesting. And it, it seemed we were getting towards this idea of, well, there are certain areas that will work for hybrid learning and teaching. Other areas, it just doesn't work. And then maybe virtual reality, extended reality will come in to play to a certain extent. But it was interesting to see where they position themselves on our teaching here and there spectrum of fight or flight. Indeed. And uh, uh, I think the, um, the, the, the sort of tangibility question is a, is a fascinating one. Obviously, as, uh, as I alluded to, it doesn't just relate to the arts or, or, or the uh, health uh, sector either, for that matter. I mean, you know, Ivan, you're in engineering. There's a lot of tangibility to, uh, to that as well. And it makes me, makes me think, think further about... The, the reach of digital in, in our lives, the, I think the borders between being online and being offline are just so dramatically collapsed these days, particularly in, in, in light of you know, the last couple of years. Um, Ivan, what, what, what reflections do you have from that conversation? What stood out to you? Yeah, thank you, Dom. I think what you mentioned just a moment ago, 
this uh, blurring out of uh, of, of uh, borders in between uh, normal normal life and digital life and being online again in terms of the accessibility to the technology what james mentioned and what dominic mentioned in his uh, discussion and also i would say what i liked uh, in both discussions actually it's something along the lines of what we had i think in the last episode with alexandra talking about the problem based learning and now straying into the art learning as well and when when we have heard about this uh, uh, need of touching the clay smelling the books and all these things that probably we still cannot have in this type of online reality dominic mentioned virtual reality we we, we toyed about maybe extended reality but again, I, I, I hope for our listeners that actually just mere fact of mentioning these limitations might be useful, as it was for me, in actually realizing that it's not all what I see, but I have to be a little bit more careful and before I, I start uh, uh, proclaiming everything is possible in hybrid. But again, I haven't lost hope in hybrid. So uh, I had the last weekend uh, a hybrid delivery and it was again, something that um, uh, met some of the comments to be aware of what's possible and what's not possible and listen to us. Absolutely. Thanks very much. And uh, I was wondering how your experiences of uh, hybrid teaching went from uh, our last conversation with Alexandra. Ooh, and <laughs> yeah, it, it actually was, right. it was the second instance uh, after the initial uh, discussion with Maha and Alexandra. And again, uh, a larger group, uh, um, some of the challenges and and some of the benefits have has un, uh, shown themselves. So it's a work in progress, and I'm sure it's going to be always like that. So that brings us to the end of uh, episode five. Thank you very much for listening. If you've been uh, if you've kept with us this long, this far, um, if you would be interested in appearing on a future episode of Teaching Here and There, you can reach out to us by email with Teaching Here and There podcast at gmail.com, or you can send us a tweet to at that hybrid pod. We're open to, uh, we're certainly looking for guests for 2022 to take this conversation further because this stuff is just not going away. Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Yvonne. Thank you, James. Thank you, Dominic. Until episode six. We'll see Goodbye. you then. Happy New Bye. Year. Bye. Happy New Year. Teaching Here and There is a podcast brought to you by PSR Production. It's available to listen to on Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, Spotify and any web browser.